Well, he said, I preached here many times before. It's 46. I counted them. Before I got here, I didn't want to preach the same thing over again. Evangelists are bad to do that. So this is number 47, best I can tell. And I've changed my sermon four or five times, sitting over there, all this good stuff I've heard this morning. And I don't know, you know, I'm a Yankee, and I, I can't help it. I was born in, I was conceived in Texas, but born in Texas. I was, excuse, excuse me, conceived in Texas, born in Michigan. Basically, because that's where my mother was. Uh, <laughs> thought it'd be proper to do it that way. And I don't know what the Sunday school teacher said exactly, and I may have gotten it wrong, but I think he said he had a desire to be closer to the climate of the cross. Is that what you said? Climate? Man, I might be getting a, a, this a new language down here coming off this many times. English, yeah. Southern English. But I, I thought that was a wonderful, wonderful phrase, a desire to be closer to the climate of the cross. Amen. What a wonderful, wonderful statement. And then I heard a man, I sat near the back, he sang a song I'd never heard before, that his life started, life story started at Calvary. And I didn't say Calvary, he said on a hill, but I know he's talking about hill called Calvary. And then we just sang, I think the choir sang, we have a better place to go. And heaven is a far better place to go than the alternative. There are only one of two places to go after death. Heaven if you're saved and hell if you're lost. It's that simple. My father died 80 days ago on the 9th of February. He had made his salvation sure as just a nine-year-old lad saved in a little church in the middle of the state of Michigan, not born again. That salvation lasted him the 81 years, 84 years, I should say, after that occasion, that eternal decision was made. But that's not the end of the story. Continues on and on and on throughout eternity. And some of the things our brother just spoke about, I thought about moving, you know, just moving one chair. That's all he needs is just move one chair. And I saw him move that one chair too a few minutes ago. Those chairs aren't going to be any hindrance, I don't think, to our brother praising the Lord. But I thought about those verses. You know, the Bible says very simply, if you're a sinner here today, in Proverbs 27 and 1, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And we serve a great God. We have a great Savior. He was talking also, I 
I changed my sermon to this for a little while. I think I changed it back again, but over there he was in the fourth and fifth chapter of the book of the Revelation. And I thought about as he was talking, it said there in that fifth chapter, in the third verse, there was no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book. And I sat there and I thought about the good men who graced the pages of this book. You can go way back to Moses. Go way back to Enoch, a man who walked with God in such a close relationship that one day he laid his staff down and just walked into glory with God Almighty. You have a man by the name of Abraham, great servant of the Lord, had a boy by the name of Isaac and another grandson by the name of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then wonderful Joseph, a chosen man, a man persecuted and suffered. None of those men were worthy to open this book. And then Moses, who led those children of Israel those 40 years through the promised land to the right up to the river, he couldn't go. But Joshua, he was able to take them across into the promised land and then all of the saints throughout the book. I thought about Isaiah, oh my goodness. What a man that he was. He told us in that 53rd chapter that he wrote in his memoirs about a savior that would come one day and save all that would put their faith and trust in him. I thought about David. I thought about Solomon. We were taught in Sunday school about Ruth. None, none of those people could open that book. Not a one. We come to the New Testament. There we have some great men, disciples. There's John the beloved. And then Saul who became Paul, that great writer of more than half of the New Testament. None of them could open the book. But thank God our Savior was able to open that book that gives us our salvation. He paid the price for your redemption, for our salvation. Hey, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. My mother died March the 5th, 1975, just a 45-year-old girl. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then cometh to judgment. 
There's not a person in this room that has one promise of another hour, of another day, of another year. You have no idea when your time is up, when your number's called, when the amount of your days has sifted down through the hourglass of time into the bottom, just a very, very few grains of sand left in your life. You have no idea. Neither do I. I have no idea when my last day will be. You see, a lot of people, their desire and their hope is all built upon church membership. Church membership, you could be a member of every single church in the Chattanooga area and it wouldn't garner you one millimoment in heaven. You could be baptized in every baptismal pool, every river, every pond in the state of Georgia. And it would not give you a moment in heaven. Not a glimpse of the grace of God. It's not wrapped up in church membership, but a divine relationship with the God of heaven. It's not turning over a new leaf. Could turn over leaves for the rest of your life would not save you. It is turning your life over to Jesus Christ and accepting what he did on Calvary as your only hope of redemption. It's not doing good deeds. The Bible says there is none that doeth good. No, not one. There's a good person. There's a fine lad. There's a lovely lady that every one of you know. Or maybe you are. If you're not saved, you'll die and go to hell. Salvation is not wrapped up in our goodness but in God's goodness in extending the arm of grace in behalf of sinners. Very little is said about sin anymore. I had a man this week. He asked me, he said, do you ever listen to Joel Olstein?" I said, no, sir, I don't. He said, well, he's got a crowd. I said, yeah, it's a crowd. I'll give you that. But I said, he never talks about, this is a lost man I'm talking to. He asked me. I said, he never talks about sin. He never tells anybody they're going to go to hell if they don't get saved. He never talks about that. I believe he's a charlatan. I don't know how the guy took it but I felt like I ought to tell him the truth. Can't trust in ourselves. Can't trust in our own good deeds. We can't trust in 
all the fine things that we've done in life. It is trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. That's it and nothing more. Nothing more. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. If I was a sinner here today and I really got a hold of what I'm trying to tell you this morning in these few minutes and all the songs that have been sung and the prayers that have been prayed and all that has gone into this opening hour of a week or so of revival, if you just knew and you're lost and what Jesus Christ could do in your life, you'd get up out of your seat right now. Wouldn't matter what anybody thought, no matter what anybody said, and I'd get down here in this old-fashioned altar and I'd get born again. I'd get it settled today. There's no sense leaving this building without knowing Christ as your Savior. It's not the first sermon you've heard. It wasn't the first choir you've listened to. It's not the soloist who sang. And that's the first. I've never heard anybody's. That's never been that way for you. You know he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Not only spoken to lost people, but to save people alike. There are Christians in this room with things in their lives that you know are displeasing to God. There are activities that you are involved in daily that you know are displeasing to God. They grieve the Holy Ghost in your life and in the lives of those that are around about you, sir. You have a young boy, young girl, teenager in your home that watches you and the things that we allow sometimes in moderation, our children will go way out, way out and beyond. You have a responsibility, Dad, to live a life as close to God as you possibly can. And I think with the Holy Ghost living inside, we know, we know when we've done that which is displeasing to him in regard to our family life, in regard to our business life, in regard to our neighbors, in regard to just about every aspect of life. If you're a born-again child of God, the Spirit of God lives within. Jesus Christ has paid it all. How will you fare one day when, like my dear dad, went to see the Lord just 80 days ago? How will you fare? What will it be like? Will it be a joyful entrance entrance into the portals of heaven? Will it be the drama 
of the damnation in a devil's hell. It's one of two places. One of two destinations. Salvation will alter your ultimate destination. You stay the way you are, you'll go to hell. I can put it any plainer. I don't think any preacher could put it any plainer. If you have Jesus Christ, that one that could open the book, if you have him as your Savior, you'll go to heaven. If you don't, you'll go to hell. What a tragedy to sit in a church today in this building now with what's gone on within the four walls of this room in the last 40 minutes or so. The praises of God, the testimonies of his saints, a few words from this precious book. You decide, and it is a decision, you decide to stay just the way you are. I will not alter my lifestyle. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to go where I want to go. I'm going to say what I want to say. I'm going to act the way I want to act. In the light of eternity. In the light of Calvary. In the light of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. This is about as fresh a bread as I ever preached in my life, in my devotions this morning, I came by Leviticus chapter 9. In the last two or three verses in that chapter, it talks about a sin offering, a burn offering, and a peace offering. A sin offering. Those people in the Old Testament, yearly, that priest would go into the Holy of Holies and be in behalf of the children of Israel. It was a yearly thing. It did not take away their sin. It just covered them for a year. But I read about that sin offering coming down through there and I said, there's something in the New Testament that scratches in the memory way back in my mind. And I began to thumb through my Bible. And I said, yes, it's Hebrews chapter 9. And I found in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 26 that he once, Jesus Christ once paid our sin debt on Calvary. Through his blood. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white has snow, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I was in a little church in northern Michigan last Sunday. After the service, the pastor was talking, and there was a lady there, probably 40, 45 years of age. I don't know how old she is. She used to go to my father's church. Her mother and her family did, and they've moved way up there in the northern part of the state. I'll tell you how wonderful it was in northern Michigan. Last Wednesday, I woke up 
22 degrees with an inch of snow on the ground. Just lovely spring weather. When I got there on Saturday, it was 82. How do you go from 82 to 22 in five days? It was time to go home, thank God. But there was a lady there, and the preacher told me, he said, when we moved into this building, he said, your dad pulled up in his, he said it was either a Cadillac or a Lincoln Continental, and that's what my dad drove, either one of those most of the time. And back when they had 98 Oldsmobiles, that's what he drove. But he said, your dad pulled up here in the parking lot, and he said, son, this was 27 years ago, I believe he told me. He said, your dad said, you know what's going on here in this church with the ex-pastor, previous pastor, and it was sin." He said, what you need to do, son, we need to walk around this building and pray the demons off this place. And so my dad and that young preacher in those days, they walked around that building and prayed the devil off that place. And that church has been greatly blessed over the years. That little lady was standing there and she said, yes, I remember a demon-possessed woman that used to go to my, to my dad's church. She called the name as Parker Memorial was the name of the church. I said, yes, I remember that lady. Uh, and I use that term loosely. And uh, I, preached, I said, yes, I preached a sermon. It's the only time I ever preached it in my life. I preached a sermon on the seven comings of Satan. You know, he came there in the Garden of Eden. And down through the Bible, there were seven different things I taught. And while I'm preaching, that door over there, that lady would sit in the front row. That door over there opened all by itself and then closed all by itself. And I said, there he goes. He's left. And that woman, I confronted her sometime after, and I said, I plead the blood of Jesus against you. She said, I can't stand the blood of Jesus. Demon-possessed woman. There could be one here today. I'm going to tell you, to a child of God, the blood of Jesus Christ, that's the greatest, that is the greatest power that this whole world has ever known. It can take a godless sinner and make him a glorious saint. A sin offering made once through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then that burnt, it burnt. Now, people would argue about this. I'm not going to argue about it. I don't know what happened. I wasn't there. But in Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible said Jesus went down into the, he descended down into the, the bottom, the, down to either he went to paradise or either he went to hell. People argue about that. The Bible said he set captivity captive. You know all that story. I don't know what, but I would tell you Jesus Christ is a burnt offering. For the sins of mankind. He bore the brunt of every man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever disgraced this planet with their multitudes of sin. You know, if we just took your sin and my sin and then multiply it, there's there's 8 billion people on this planet. There's probably been twice that many that ever lived. 
and all of that he took upon himself. He took your swearing. He took your cussing. He took your defilement. He took your looks that you shouldn't have looked in the places you shouldn't have set foot. He took it all. He was burned and branded with your sin and mine. When you, when you see him in heaven, you'll see the wounds in his hands, his feet. He'll be the only one there with wounds. He suffered for us. And then it talked about that peace offering. Oh, my there's peace that passeth all understanding. Ephesians 4 and 7. You know, when, I, when those people, when uh, Aaron talked to them about that, it was Aaron involved, Moses, of course, was there. They both were right there. Sin offering, a burnt offering, and a peace offering. You know what the people did? <laughs> that last verse, it said God's glory appeared, and they shouted and fell on their feet. And I'm going to tell you something, friend. If somewhere down the road of life, you recognize that that sin offering had paid your sin debt, and you know that he was burdened with your sin and paid the price and gives you peace, you'll be shouting. You'll be on your face before him every once in a while just thanking God for what he's done. The question is, do you have him this morning? Is he yours? We all one day will be where my dad was 80 days ago on our deathbeds. We'll say our last words. The last thought will go through our mind and we'll be gone. It's heaven or hell. After that, it's life or death. It's Jesus or Satan. It's saved or lost. It's a choice that you must make in this life that demands a decision. For the Savior has offered the solution through his own blood shed on Calvary. The great question this morning is, where are you going to spend eternity? Where are you going to go when you die? Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth.